Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Man, this is a good show here. This was live show 22 over there on YouTube. Uh, me and Dan talked about some of our goals for the upcoming season. Uh, and really that was a small portion of what we talked about. We talked about all kinds of good stuff. This was probably one of my favorite podcasts so far. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get started, I do got to thank a couple of my sponsors here. The first one being... Hunting Beast Gear, makers of the best stand and sticks on the market for mobile hunters. Even if you're uh, not a public land guy and you're a private land guy, I think uh, a mobile setup's a key uh, component of killing a big deer every year. And there's no better one than the Beast stand and sticks. So go over to huntingbeastgear.com and get you uh, set up before season starts. Also, to go with your stand and sticks, you got to have some stealth strips. Lou and the crew over at Stealth Outdoors are the best in the business of what they um, what they do. Heck, today I'm going to go to uh, one of my preset locations I have um, over a, a food plot, a little food plot I planted, and put some stealth strips on some of the sticks I got out there just to make those things a little quieter. They're just a piece of junk steel uh, climbing sticks, and I'm going to stealth strip them up a little bit in some areas that make some noise. So... Uh, go to stealthoutdoors.com, get you some stealth strips uh, before season starts. And finally, i got to thank my final sponsor, and that being Exodus Outdoor Gear. Good news, it's still Velvet Fest, so there's still some savings to be had. Every camera order comes with a scratch-off card that could save you 15-25% to 25% off your next camera. Um, there's also, on their email newsletter, there's going to be exclusive Velvet Fest savings. Um, and then also keep on using the hashtag Velvet Fest on social media to win prizes uh, through the online event. And they're also going to be um, extending this for the podcast listeners until the end of August. With that being said, if you use the code SUMMERBUCKS at checkout, SUMMERBUCKS, S-U-M-M-E-R, capital B-U-C-K-S, you can save 18% off. And that's going to be exclusive to podcast listeners. Um, I'm using their trail cameras and their MMT arrows this year. Uh, you guys, I think, would like them. Uh, all right. With that being said, go to Excess Outdoor Gear, sign up for their newsletter, get you some good stuff on their website. They have some cool shirts, too. I like their, their shirts. They, it's a good quality stuff. All right. Let's get into the episode. <laughs> uh, what's up everybody <laughs> yeah hope everybody's doing good tonight um episode 22 going right along here um yeah hope everybody's having a good night and everybody's getting stoked for deer season i'll be deer hunting in less than two weeks now so or at least heading to deer hunting in two weeks um so I'll if you're hunting. You'll be what? A bear hunting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you guys are, uh, we got a lot of people on already. So if you guys uh, don't know how this all works, me and Dan kind of chit chat for a while and then you can ask questions in the comments or you can call in to the channel. Um, also, I got a subscriber's name down right here to win the uh, uh, beast sticks. The, the account never got back to me this week. I messaged him on YouTube, left him a comment on YouTube. I even put a post on the hunting beast to try to find him. Um, and they never did, never did get back with me. So it gives me it, another chance. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is not you here, but <laughs> unless you're some, uh, uh, you got an alibi or something, but, uh, 
So anyway, here's to get you to pull my name. His yeah. <laughs> his loss is uh your all's gain. So maybe maybe one of you here will or win uh win the B stick. We almost made it to five thousand subscribers before I gave it away. I should have just been patient. But uh anyway. Uh make sure if you like what we're doing, subscribe to the channel and, and like the video. That really helps. You guys, I don't have to tell you to comment. There's always a whole bunch of comments, so I always appreciate that. If you're something I gotta get better at is like most people that watch this watch it not live, right? So like don't forget to comment down below too if you're just watching it on a Saturday morning or something. Um anyway. How's Dan doing? I haven't talked to you today. I'm doing good. I'm alive. That's always a good thing. Yeah. Have you uh, gotten your, like, is your barn getting wrapped up now? Uh, I think they're done with all the framing. So I think it's just oh, got to okay. get the siding and stuff on now. My dad's, my dad put a, uh, a barn in uh, beside my house here today. They did it all today. It's like some prefabbed deal that they brought in on a truck and it's it's pretty nice it's like fully insulated spray spray insulated and um it's not a concrete floor floor it has some type of a composite floor they put in it hmm. um i was gonna send a picture of it to you to see if they i don't know if you looked into anything like that or not well um considering i got uh what i got into mine i'm i'm going with what i have <laughs> yeah right it's too late now but oh that's funny yeah, probably wouldn't be a good idea to put one in now. Yeah, I'm not even going to have uh, garage doors till October, so. Yeah. And that's if they come on time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they will. It seems like things are starting to at least a little bit come back to um, a normal amount of, uh, of timing on that stuff. But my dad, he had a concrete guy that's supposed to come and do some of his concrete work and like last week, he's supposed to come this week. And last week he calls and is like, he's had this scheduled for six months or more. And uh, he's like, oh, it's uh, it's too far of a drive for me to come and just cancel it on him. And so it's like, he's like, crap. So he scram scrambled around and found him another concrete guy. But anyway, um, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, our goals this season. I haven't really thought about my goals much. I thought I was just going to brainstorm them with Dan mm -hmm. on the podcast and let you guys listen and then maybe talk about um, some of the ways people end up screwing up their hunting season um, and not achieving their goals. So you got any like thing in your mind this year, Dan, that you, you got set on a goal you want to achieve? Oh, not really. Um, do you, do you I, set goals? I, you know, not as much as I did when I was younger. I kind of just go with the flow. You yeah. know, um, I'm not, uh, I don't plan on shooting something real small right off the bat or anything like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it should be something nice comes in, Pope and Young or something. I'm probably going to shoot it unless I get onto something really big. I'm, I was on some really big stuff last year, but I just can't seem to positively make sure that it's around this year. And I've, I've seen some nice bucks this year, though. Um, I went out the other day and uh, went to a new public property, and me and Rick got out of the truck and we walked about. Uh, 10 yards through a grass field from the main parking lot and a 150 inch buck was eating acorns right next to the parking lot on a tree line and ran off to the woods. I thought that was interesting. It was a nice buck, but I've seen a lot of nice ones. Not a lot of, you know, not some absolute uh, monsters, but. Uh, yeah, I got one 
on trail camera this week that it's like I sent a picture to you, Dan, but like it's antlers curl back in. I mean, literally like this, mm-hmm. his antlers curl in. Yeah, it's um, cool rack. Oh man, it's a big deer too. It's not a, it's not this big. It's it's a I mean it's a big deer. Um, but yeah, it's like it's like four or five times just like take a ninety and go mm-hmm. back inside. If you uh, look at that, the slob buck, the slob buck, the um, tines uh, curl back like that. Yeah. If you look close, yeah. you know. This deer looks like he took his antlers and like shoved them into something and just bent them all over. It's what it looks like. I don't know if they can do that or without breaking them off, but I don't know if they're soft enough during growth to. I think it's probably more genetics than anything. Just you weird. No. Yeah. And I, I'm real familiar with that. Uh, just the deer that are in that area. I've never seen one like that, but uh, there's some weird ones sometimes, but nothing like that. There's some like palmation. They, they bump their antlers. They get like acorns. They get fractures in them, and you get a like a knot in them. Yeah. Um, just the way they're bent like that tells me it's genetic. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he keeps them like that. I think that's cool. Uh, I don't know if they break off. I hope or, he doesn't know, grow yeah. another set like that because I think you're going to kill him this year. We should. Yeah. Well, uh, that's I, a pretty good buck. Oh man, he's a nice one. I I just meant I meant to. I didn't know if there was like a defect in them and he, they'd fall like break off or something, but they were weak if he bent them or I don't know. No, that'll, that'll, that'll grow hard antler like that. Yeah. Hmm. I have one. I can't, he's, he's back here, but, um, you can't see him, but he has like a, his, his main beam comes out and then it like makes a, a twist. Hmm. I don't know how he, he twisted it up somehow. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Me um, and, uh, Rick put a, uh, well, actually, I put a trail camera out on a bedding area uh, 30 days ago. And uh, me and Rick uh, checked it the other day and uh, pulled the card. It had been out 30 days, and I had 40 different bucks on it. And probably 10 of them were shooters. Um, Jeez. I mean, there was uh, probably three that were 150 or above. On, uh, that's public land. I don't think I've ever had a card pull like that on private. That was a uh, pretty shocking, not exactly what I thought. And it was sitting on a, a bedding area, like the staging area from a bedding area. And there's probably 10 different exits they could take. Now, obviously I'm going to put the camera in the best one, the best exit. Um, and there's a, uh, what really tipped me off there is when I went in there to put the camera up, there was a, um, buck bed scrape which told me multiple bucks were bedding there because they're competing over it and scraping out, you know, where the trails come together. So I put the camera by the scrape. I didn't put it on the scrape, but I put it where the trails converge next to the scrape. And I couldn't believe uh, the number of deer I had on that. Not just bucks, those two. I mean, it was just constant. I, you know, in 30 days I had like 3000 pictures. It was insane. Hmm. That's crazy. That is one thing I noticed. Um, when I was hunting in Wisconsin last year is the amount of bucks that are there. Just, I mean, I saw a bunch of small dinks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I guess if I wouldn't have hunted, uh, Wisconsin last year, the way I did. And if you told me you saw 40 bucks on a camera, I'd be like, ah, but I can believe it. I mean, I'd see, you know, I'd see a few that one morning I saw at least a few, you know, tiny ones, if not five, you know, little dink bucks. Yeah, if there's uh, a downfall, I mean, a, a lot of them were nocturnal um, pitchers, nighttime pitchers. Sure. I don't know why, because I'm right up against the bedding. But there's a bedding area adjacent to it, like another couple hundred yards down. 
So uh, after we got that card back, I wasn't even going to put the, the camera back. After seeing the card, obviously, camera's going back. So me and Rick went and put a camera there. And then we went down and cameraed the other bedding area because I got this feeling that some of those big bucks were coming from the back bedding area because they were going through the camera, you know, a little after dark or a little before daylight. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we got over to that second bedding area, that was tore up even more than the first one where we got all those picks. And um, the way they come out of that one most of the time is not towards the first camera. They go towards on Oak Ridge which was kind of uh, made me feel a little better because where all those bucks are, there's not an oak tree in sight. And we have a really good oak year this year. I think in a a week or two, they're really going to start dropping around me because they're just starting to drop now. And uh, then uh, those bucks that are non-oak areas might start disappearing. So seeing that this one, the secondary bedding area had trails going to uh, an oak ridge was refreshing. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you thought they were all in there because the oaks were dropping or something in that area or there's a bunch of something they're eating. Yeah, right now it seems uh, like the ones that I was getting pictures of seem to be going in and out of crop fields. Yeah. But that secondary bedding that they're going to seems like that goes to over to oaks. And I noticed um, a lot of the bucks were coming through in the morning and not in the evening. I think they might be doing a circular route. Like leaving that first bedding area in the, in the evening, going over towards those oaks, and making their way around in from the backside. So, I mean, it's just a what guess. That's why I threw another camera out so I'd know what was going on. Yeah. Do you think, uh, whenever we start hunting together a few years back now, um, I noticed how, like, your mind was really thinking about how a deer, like, uses a property. And you were telling me, like, a lot of times they're they're always making, like, circles in places. Do you think... I mean, is that how most deer uh, act is is in a circular manner? Like, do you think they work around or is it some of them go back and forth or have you patterned anything like yeah, that? It's not def- It's definitely not all of them. Um, yeah. But it is enough enough of them that use that pattern that it's worth noting. I've seen, uh, I've hunted some really big bucks that used to um, come through uh, a property like every three or four days and other ones that were like every week. And people would be seeing them on the opposite end of the week, you know, like a couple of miles away, glass them as if you see pictures. Cause I mean, they're so big, they're identical. And uh, I got to learning that when the sign was uh, fresh, it meant, meant that I missed them. And I wanted to be yeah. in there when it was old. And that's the only time I saw them is when I hunted the sign that was old for that particular buck. Um, but you have other bucks that just go from point A to point B and keep doing it. I mean, they're like people. Some people travel yeah. all over the country and are in a different state every day. And some people stay in their backyard and never leave their hometown. You know, um, it's, it's, you just have to learn the deer you're after. Yeah. What, uh, like if a deer is going to make a circle, and this may be a hard question to answer, but what, what, what would a, what would a night look like for a deer? Like if he gets out of his bed and at, you know, 10 minutes before daylight or dark, what, what are they typically doing to make a, make a circle? Like, I guess, what, how would you tell someone that has a deer on a circular pattern? What, what do they do? You, you know, that's a pretty hard question to answer. I think they got uh, bedding areas and uh, feeding areas all around that circle or that circular pattern. And it's just a yeah. matter of, uh, for whatever reason, they just tend to always go a certain direction and they end up where they came from eventually. 
we were uh, me and you were talking this week. I'm sorry, that was a hard question, but I, I well, wanted to lead into. The- too, I mean, before we even go into whatever you're going to say, you know, it's hard to determine that stuff too. And you know, you might just know that a buck's there every now and then, and you hardly ever yeah. see it. But in the in the cases where I determined it, it was because I was seeing the buck on the rest of his pattern, or somebody I knew was, and we we're sharing pictures or whatever. And you figure out that this, well, the deer's you know over two miles. You know, he moved. Well, all of a sudden he's back and then he's over there and he's back and then he's over here and he's back. And you start realizing, well, if you look where he's at, he just keeps going in this circle, you know? Okay. So yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to clarify that. No, it's okay. We were talking about uh, how you, you had a camera pull. I don't know. It's been last week or so, but you're we talking about uh, how short a time that a deer will stay bedded. Remember you were asking me, uh, you were asking me how long I thought a deer would just would would lay in that bed, and I was like, I don't know, five hours. And you're, I don't, I don't remember what you said, but it was like shockingly short. Yeah, yeah. I um, it was a camera over the top of a bed, and I think that it captured a lot of bucks and a lot of does bedded there. And uh, that particular camera, the uh, bucks and the does would bed there on average. I want to say an hour, hour, 15 minutes before they'd move. I mean, there were bucks that bed, bedded the whole day, but that was rare. For the most part, they'd come in for an hour or two, you know? And uh, yeah. I think an hour or two was average, you know? Um, and that was that was a little shocking to me to see that on the cameras that were right over the top of the beds. But uh, very interesting. Yeah, a guy just assumes that that deer, you know, lays there in the morning from 2 a.m. till, you know, whenever, and then lays, I don't know. I, I you always assume that that deer had been laying there a long time before you snuck in on it and on its yeah. bed. He may have... To some part, I believe they, they are. Because yeah. a lot of those bucks would get up and, and leave, and a couple hours later they'd come back. And studying the cameras and then studying historical data on uh, weather patterns... I found that most of the time when those bucks got up and left, it was when the wind shifted. Yeah. And uh, that was one bed in a bedding area. All right. You know, you know, a lot of people think a buck has a bed. That's three beds. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but really, they usually have a bedding area. You know, the best spots are within an area. So let's say this area might be like uh, a quarter acre, half acre, something like that where they bed and uh, they move from bed to bed, I think. And I think when he gets up and moves, he's just moving over to another bed. He's still in the same bed and area. If you hunt in the same stage and area, he's still in or he's still coming out the way he comes out. And that's part of the reason that when I, I'm doing these bedding studies, I like to have the cameras on the area of the trails coming out of the bedding areas. Cause then it doesn't matter what bed he bedded in. He's come past the camera. Right. Yeah, it was that was a yeah, it was a cool little observation you had on that camera. That's that was a camera you're kind of including in your study, right? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a um, a video coming up on that where I'm gonna break everything down in it and show some things I learned in there, some some things that backs up uh, what I've always said, and some interesting yeah. observations as well that kind of were surprising to me. Did you see that the 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 deer, the bucks bedded longer, like during daylight hours, uh, than at night. 
Um, it was interesting. I saw a lot of nighttime betting in that particular yeah. bed, in that particular study, a lot of daytime, a lot of nighttime. Um, I assume they had to be feeding close by too, because they were coming right back, you know, like after dark and bedding down, like they're just fed up and then they're going to lay back down. Doze end bucks. I noticed the does disappeared during uh, uh, the rut phases. You know, um, bucks were more in during uh, in that particular bed in the, uh, the phases of rut for this area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This this camera was a someone. It's not your camera, is it? It's a one from a guy that gave gave you the SD Correct. card to look through Correct. it all. Yeah. We probably mm-hmm. should have said that before. This isn't from uh, the last couple weeks. <laughs> right. Um, this is actually from last year. Yeah. Last year inf- information. Uh, super cool, though. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited to see the video you make of it. I know it's going to be a, it's a lot of information to go through, and we me and you yeah. are talking. Our our yeah, minds aren't wired. It's just it's so hard for me to graph stuff. But I'm gonna I, I started to I made patterns and stuff. I looked at winds and stuff. It's really hard to graph winds because it's amazing how much the wind shifts while bucks bedded, you know. And then it yeah. seems like the buck gets up on the wind shifts. So you have to kind of make an assumption. And, and then do you you know if you're looking at east winds for a bed. And you got southeast, uh, and then it changes south. Do you call that east? <laughs> you call it south, or you call it right. southeast? And you start getting a, a pretty wide ver- uh, variance, but you you see some similarities. You know, like in, in this particular case, ninety uh, percent of the time when a buck bedded there it was a south southerly wind, which is kind of different than what I would have expected. I would expect it to be more of a um, uh, northerly or a west wind. Why is that? Because of the obstacle to the back. Oh. But self worked. What kind of terrain was it in? Swamp. Oh, okay. Hmm. Anyway, do you got any goals for uh on your all your out of state hunts? Yeah, to kill stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I go out of state, um I generally want to kill a nice buck. I don't want to go kill some dink or something. But I think I'm a little looser because I'm only there for a short period. And it's a bonus if you get one on one of those travel hunts. Um, but that changes real quick if there's a reason for it to change. Like if I see a giant buck, and I think I got a chance at that buck, I might I might just all out that buck or nothing. you know. But uh, I usually go with a looser, um, looser attitude about what I'll shoot. You know, usually, uh, you know, 120 class on up or something, or not not that I necessarily put a number on it. I yeah. I generally won't shoot something unless I, I want to mount it, you know, but uh, I might go a little little below a mounder on something like that, but probably not. Like I said, I don't set goals as much as somebody else. You know, um, I, I, I'm always interested in, uh, I'll have people tell me these, I don't know if they're trying to impress me or, or what, but they'll say, I only shoot 160 and up. And you think, really? And if you, the property you're hunting doesn't have a 160, you're just not killing a deer that you're just going, you're just going holding down tree stands. Right. Basically. Yeah. There are people like that though. I mean, there's some people that, that uh, are pretty disciplined. I'm not one of them, but. Yeah. And, and, for, and for me, I mean, it's not about scores. Right. It's about, but I get that it was at one point there's stages in your life. And I yep. went through that stage of trying to be the, the big shot shooting all the giant bucks and uh, 
got to the point where that wasn't all that much fun. Fun is just, you know, hunting big deer and patterning them and, and killing them and moving on to the next one. That's fun. Yeah. And like the, um, there's not a whole lot of difference in like the excitement level for me after, you know, shooting a 130 or 150. I'm like, I get pretty, I'm pretty excited either, either way, you know. Uh, I haven't shot I, anything. I love shooting those just old monarchs that I've got some history with. Yeah. For I sure. like it when, if you're going to ask me what kind of buck I want to shoot, I want to shoot a buck that I've known for years that's eluded me, that's got a history that uh, maybe he has a bunch of people after him and I want to walk in there, figure him out, take an educated guess on where I'm thinking he's bedded for the day based on the wind, based on the terrain, based on my scouting, set up in that one tree in that whole freaking marsh where he could possibly be killed out of and have him get up in the bed that I think he's going to be in and walk in and I kill him. That's what excites me. I mean, yeah. doing doing that with uh, any mature buck, regardless of rack size, is, is uh, you, you know, you can't explain it to somebody who hasn't done it, but it's a fulfilling right. point when you look at that entire woods and realize that you you put it together right and you did it. That's that's a thrill. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's something like when people people that go out of state, um, they don't realize, I think whenever you, you think about going out of state, I think you got it in your mind, like, um, you know, the guys on the hunting public or, uh, show you've watched on TV that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they traveled somewhere and killed a big deer. And it's like, that's not, you know, that's not reality. Like the hunting public guys, obviously they're probably some of the, the best group of guys in the country at traveling and going and killing a big deer. But there's like, a bunch of them doing it, you know, to get the content. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are more times than not, they don't get one, you know, but since there's five or six of them, they can, it adds up over the year. And I think that's something that's like, is important. Like when you go out of state, it, it's usually not easier than wherever you're hunting at home, you know? Right. Um, well, that depends. I mean, sure. uh, I'm going out of state to places um, like in Iowa and stuff that is just so phenomenal. It's way better than when I, I got at home. Yeah. However, um, that kind of conflicts with what I like, what I got in my heart. You know, I know um, business-wise and and doing this as a profession, I'm better off going to the same states, same spots that I've gone to in the past because once I got them figured out, I can come back and kill big bucks on a regular basis at those other states. Mm-hmm. But what's in my heart is going to some place I've never been and pulling the rabbit out of the hat, going into a place blind, figuring it out and killing the buck. I love that. There's nothing yeah. I love more. Than that. But that's a hard task to complete. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially in um, five or six days. You know, usually by the yeah. time we leave, we're, we're getting it down, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, Iowa's like an outlier. Like, you can't even hunt that place five or six years. You know, you got to wait to hunt it. So, um, but like, if you're going to, if you're going to drive down to Kentucky this year and think you're going to shoot a, uh, 140 inch deer velvet in velvet it's like mm-hmm. man it's rough you know to to go out of state and i think a lot of times people that go out of state used to have this like in their mind about how it's going to be better than where i'm at and it's like you kind of need to have a different attitude about it. it's going to be you know a new adventure for you or a new mm-hmm. thing you're going to learn um and yeah maybe after you do it a number of years you'll get uh, proficient at it or figure out a spot or whatever the case may be another thing a lot of guys don't do is um they don't scout their uh their trips they got a lot more uh yeah um 
things in their head that they believe are going to happen or what they think about the hunt. Yeah. You know, when, when literally they'd be better off rather than going on like a, a seven day hunt, they'd be better off going on a five day hunt and going on a three day trip earlier in the year and doing some scouting first. Mm-hmm. Walk the property. No, I, I mean, uh, you and I were both looking at doing Iowa this year. However, with all of our points, we still didn't draw. And uh, you went down early and scouted. Yeah, I went down in the spring. A lot of guys won't do that. And yeah. then it takes you a lot longer to hunt. And, and it's funny because these same guys will uh, knock me because when I'm on a on a trip like that, I scout in the mornings. And they're like, Rut, you're in the tree all year, all day long when I go on one of those trips. Well, how the hell do you go down there without scouting, hang a tree and sit in there all day, get down and then go to a different tree, sit there all day? you got to scout at some point. So I, I don't know if they're just picking a spot on a map or what, but I really want to look around and get in a spot where I can actually kill one. Yeah. And like Tim, you know, Tim's deer he killed in Iowa last year. I think Tim went down there. I don't know if Tim's on or not, but for years in advance, like he was going every spring for like three years in a row, he went down there knowing I'm going to draw, probably going to take me whatever number of years to draw Iowa. And he was going every spring, he'd go down there and scout a new area or confirm what he was looking at and all that. And I think, I think that was a, a real good idea on his part. If you got the time, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of guys aren't going to do that. I, I was kind of shocked when he told me that I was like, Oh wow. You put a lot of effort into going down there. Um, Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think when we um, when we do um, our adventures this year that we film mm-hmm. breakdowns, mm-hmm. we should uh, let you on your show here pick someone from the public to come along with us. We should. Yeah, I think we should uh, specify they have to they have to film their hunts though. Right. Right. But, uh, beyond that, that, just somebody that's somebody that's got a small channel or something or films, come along. But uh, before before everybody starts sending applications or something, I think uh, we took gets a little closer, and then we'll let uh, Josh announce it. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I think people get fired up about that. I think a lot of people start filming. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be cool. We'll, we'll probably, I don't know, we, we may end up who knows where too. We got some, uh, we got some ideas in our head, I guess, about where mm-hmm. we may venture off to. And who yeah. knows if I, if I kill something early in, uh, October, I might, uh, be open for something different anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I haven't technically bought my Iowa ta- or Ohio tag yet, so that hunt's still kind of up in the air. But uh, yeah, you just need to uh, have more vacation time, and you could just go with me everywhere. I just won't show for work. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I'm myself, my boss might be listening. Oh yeah, ah, uh, I don't know. You've said worse things on this podcast about your work, so yeah, you'd already you'd already listen. I mean, I can do this full time. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick, while we got everybody, there's a lot of people, a lot more people on. There's twice as many people on than when we started. But if you guys got questions, don't forget to leave them in the comments section. Me and Dan will try to get to a whole bunch of them uh, tonight. Um, but there's a lot of questions already. I'm trying to pay attention to them. They, uh, I think this year for Indiana, I was thinking about my goals today just cause I haven't really thought about it much this year. Um, I'm going to try to be a little more patient this year and try to really, um, shoot something nice. Yeah. That's what happens. You get a big buck on camera and then you start getting these yeah. big ideas. I think you should well, shoot rat that comes in and have me come down on that one guy on camera. <laughs> I pulled a camera. Uh, I went and finished a, a food plot uh, this evening before the show here. I got a little three-tenths of an acre food plot and uh, I pulled a card out of a camera that the big, big one is in that area and he wouldn't, he never was on that card. So he'd been sitting there for two months and I never, never got a picture of him. So I don't know where he's at, or I got to keep keep looking for him. Well, the cameras I got out on the study mm-hmm. have been surprisingly slow. Yeah, yeah, but you never know. They usually are for the first week or so, though. Um, yeah, I was gonna say um, we uh we kicked a deer out of one of the spots, and it was tore up with sign on a point, an oak point that has bedding on the end of it, yeah. and. Uh, uh, Rick goes, a buck just jumped up or, or a deer or whatever, because we didn't see it. Yeah. Crashed up. And it came it came right out of where the bucks are always at. And we went over there right by the rubs and stuff, just rubs around the bed. This is giant bed. And I mean, that bed was six feet long. And it was impressed where that buck was laying. Obviously. Mm-hmm. I put the camera there and we haven't got a deer on it yet. Hmm. I take that back. I think a doe walked through today, but still not a buck. Um, but, uh, even that, that bed cam, the slowest period of that whole cam for that three months was the six days after the camera was put up. Yeah. I mean, it was even slow after that. I think it was 20 days before a buck showed back up. Hmm. It's a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know last week we talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about, how long you're you know going in right now and screwing up for opening day or opening week of season um yeah you're in that time frame right now where if you're jumping around in your spots right now maybe it maybe it messed some of them up especially in the right scenario right um that's what i really try when i put out cameras i'm gonna go check really try to put them in areas where make them as least intrusive as possible pay attention to where trails are going through and um you know, if I can use a creek or something to walk in, and I got a couple I set up this year where I can get, sneak in through the rocks in the creek, not have to, you know, cross any major deer trails and stuff like that. Stuff, um, everybody, uh, you know, 
should think about when they're putting out cameras instead of just willy nilly throwing them in the best looking tree, you know, along a trail. Yeah. Um, okay. Someone asked, I'm going to, I want to kind of slowly start going on, on some, uh, Q and A's as I see some good ones coming in real quick one camera arm update. Josh, Josh's last year video had an interesting arm. Oops. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. Well, I, um, I built, uh, uh, six of them at the shop, um, this last week for the guys that are filming with us. Um, heck yeah. Well, I just got to get, uh, Mario on board with what we're looking at. And yeah. we both kind of agree on a, on a design. I like uh, certain aspects and he likes certain aspects and they don't necessarily agree with each other. He likes something really rigid and strong and I like something really lightweight and, and uh, flat and mobile. Um, so there's going to have to be some compromises somewhere in between. And then as soon as we hit that and we both agree on it, we'll start selling it. Yeah. But there's one coming. Yeah. It's, it's just about there. Yeah. Yep. I How think, do you, uh, you filmed with yours, right? How do you like it? Oh yeah. Well, I filmed the one you made last year. The mm-hmm. right is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. No, I like it a lot. It's real stable. I mean, it's stable enough. I hang. I can hang my my bow on it. Yeah. Um. I don't think that's a secret that we we all hang our bows on our camera arm. But, yeah. Um. You've done that for years and years and years now. Yep. yep. Um. I get asked a lot about, uh, I got a hook built into it. Yeah. I get asked a lot about people that are, or people want to know what bow holder I use on my tree stand. You know, they make those ones that go on a tree stand and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm to tell reading. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep it in your hand, in your hand. When I was young, my dad always made me, uh, I always had to have my hand on my bow and in my lap. He wouldn't let me hang it up. Mm. It's probably a good, a good idea for a young kid. <laughs> you know, 11 years old shooting a bow. Um, but yeah, I, I hold my bow. Do you hold your bow very much or do you always leave it hung up? No, I drop it while I'm snoring. <laughs> now I, I hang it and I watch it and I just slowly get it. I usually try to hang it in the manner that it's I pick it up and it's right there where I need it. But yeah. Uh, I think that's actually less intrusive than trying to pick your bow up and straighten it out or getting around a branch or something or a right. tree. Yeah, to have it in the ready position, hanging there already. Yeah. So I usually, I usually clip a limb or something, and put it off. There. The only one time I I don't is if I don't have anything to hang it on. But generally, uh, like you said, I'm putting it on my my attachment, my bow attachment on my uh, camera arm. Yeah, I don't. People that people have them on the side of their stand, you know those those uh, yeah. bow attachments. In. I don't like that. I'd rather have it on my map than that. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I built a an original uh, the original hunting beast stand. I built a um, bow holder right in the middle of the platform. Yep. And uh, it was expensive. It was going to put the cost of the stand way up, and yeah. it made the stand heavier because I had to bulk up the stand to take that opening, without it having you know so it could withstand a three hundred pound weight. And I just decided to screw it, take the thing out of there because I didn't like it, and I was just making it to make people happy. And, and really, I'm better off making a stand that makes me happy the way I want to hunt. And, and uh, it, then, then I can sell it with a straight face, right? Right. That's right. And I always find, I don't, you know, people put that stuff on the side of their stand and whatnot, have attachments. And it's like, 
what I mean, you know, a quarter of the time, probably I got my stand wedged into some little spot or something and it'd be like, it wouldn't work anyway. And then it'd just be something sticking out right. to not, to not, uh, you know, be able to, you use know, I am convinced the overall majority of hunters just hunting like trees and woods because where I'm killing deer, the trees are so miserable. There's always some real screwed up way of getting a stand right. in there, you know, um, it, you, it's hard to get a bow in there and everything else. And you just have to make something work. And uh, that's the gist of it. I mean, a lot of times there's not room for a bow to be on a specific spot on your stand. You have to make a room for it somewhere. Yep. Something else that I see a lot of people do that I don't understand is they'll take these little packs and put them on the seat underneath their seat. Have you seen them guys doing that? Mm-hmm. There's little, like little, military packs or something that goes underneath your seat. And I'm like, the to me, the whole, not the whole purpose, but a big reason I like a light stand is the ease of hanging it. Mm-hmm. You can hang it so quietly, so efficiently. It's not hard to hang. It's like, then you put six pounds of whatever the crap you got in that pack in is attached to that stand. All of a sudden your stand went from weighing seven pounds or whatever it weighs to 12 or 13 pounds. Cause you got this little pack attached to it i I don't understand that at all i don't know i see an awful lot of guys with giant freaking backpacks out hunting i got everything i need is in a pocket in my vest yeah except for my boat it's in my hand yeah i'm i'm fairly minimalist too i mean if i if i didn't have i have a a lot of camera equipment i bring with me just because i'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff um i wouldn't have a pack and this year i'm not going to run a pack at all i got a, another way of carrying it all in so um but yeah i got a i got a uh, a little bit different camera setup that's not as big so um anyway just something i've always like wondered i'm like why, why do you guys put that stuff on your stand like it's to me it's it's kind of uh productive anyway you're still using your old hunter safety system right that's what you carry around everything in yeah. I, uh, when we're getting something new, it's starting to stink a little. Yeah. You've had that thing since, I don't know, since Jesus walked the earth or something. You've had that forever. Yeah, they, gave, you, they gave me that way back in the 90s. Yeah. They gave me one. They gave um, my wife one and a bunch of other guys in the group that we were with way back then. And it's the same one. It's gone all ripped up. And, uh, it's got those giant buckles on it where the newer ones don't. Yeah. I could probably upgrade. I was always thinking about designing my own. I always wanted one for a mobile guy. Yeah. So, I don't know when that'll ever happen. I just don't have time for all that crap. I know. And plus, like, I don't, I don't know anything about safety harnesses and whatnot, but I'd say that probably some, I don't know if there's, is there different regulations for that? You got to well, worry yeah. about. I've seen and all kinds of stuff, just like the tree stands. And... Yep. There's certain ways you got to put the stuff together. Um, there has to be like a, uh, a certain type of sew stitch that'll rip apart. So that you, you, you fall, you, you don't fall to a shock. You know what I mean? So that the uh, portions of it give it's, uh, there's a lot into it. Yeah. I, I imagine so. Um, I had that, I had the hunter safety system for a long time too. The one with the, the, the vest on it. Mm-hmm. It says like Team Real Tree on it or something like that. 
As so one of, one of the biggest things for me, which is, um, you know, you know, probably not going to shock you, but it might shock some other people, is I am a slob and I will lose everything I have if I don't organize it. And my way of organizing it is that vest has a pocket for every item that I need. So, you know, um, my saw goes in one pocket, my rope goes in one pocket, my camera goes in one pocket, and, uh, you know, I think that's what all I take. Yeah. But in the Northwoods, but each pocket has a thing, including my, my bow release goes in a pocket because otherwise I end up out there and I got no bow release. You know what I mean? And I'm on some trip three hours from my house. So I have everything in a pocket. And that's the best way I can be organized is I just grab that vest and I put it on and I make sure that every one of those items goes back in that pocket as soon as I'm done using it. Yeah. I'm the same way, Dan. I am not organized. I, if you could see my desk right here in front of me, you'd be shocked. And then uh, I have to have like everything in a certain spot and kits for hunting and stuff or else I'll lose or forget something. That's usually my problem is I'm forgetting something. Um, yeah. You can ask my wife. I'm super scatterbrained when it comes to that. But for deer hunting, I'm usually pretty good. And I usually have backups and stuff. Um, here we go to uh, shout out to Savannah Outdoors. Thanks for the uh, dono there, Savannah. Uh, Red Bull Bills. I'm not sure what that means, but probably something with energy drinks for Dan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, gear is something that, uh, it's funny, like on this channel, I put the clips up, you know, and like the top 10 are like almost all are gear related. Like when me and you talk about gear, um, that's the, that's what people like to really? hear us talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's some tactic ones obviously that are really good too, but like when we talk about what bow we're shooting or, um, whatever people just love that, what broadheads we shoot, mm -hmm. um, and it's something I don't really think about a whole lot. You know, I, I like thinking about gear. I don't really like talking about gear cause I have like my own opinions about it and I don't really like to argue about them just cause it's like, I don't know. It's just what, what works for me. Um, that's the way everybody needs to be. I, I mean, I don't argue with anybody about it. If something's working for you, use it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. And that's what people, I get, I get a lot of messages on Facebook, you know, and a lot of people ask me questions about what I use or, this or that and it's like you know i use uh a g5 you know broadhead but i'm like it's only because i've used it and it's worked for me for so many years i've never tried anything else there you know maybe you need to use something else you know if yeah, i told dan the thing with broadheads is man yeah everybody shoots different everybody's bowl will shoot different broadheads differently yeah you know i i've had guys that shoot a broadhead right next to me to shoot it perfect and my bow perfectly tuned next to him, I can't hit the broadside of a barn, but the particular broadhead I'm picking shoots great, but won't shoot great in their their bow. So it, it really pays to shoot a few broadheads before you shoot. Oh, yeah. Which it kind of sucks because, I mean, you got to buy a pack of broadheads. But if you got a bunch of buddies in your group, you can get some old ones or something, you know? Yeah. Or maybe if they got some old ones laying around at a pro shop. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is to that. I wish it could probably start. You know what? I need to look it up. But there's a company where you can rent broadheads off of them to try out. Rent them, huh? 
Dang it. I no, they don't have to be sharp. They just, you just have to, you sure, know. No, but I think you can get on their website and just like, I want to, I want a G5 Montec. I want a whatever cutthroat. I want a muzzy. And they'll, I think they'll send it to you. I don't know. Don't quote me on all that. I could have dreamt that last night or something, but, um, It'd be a good business. Yeah. Trouble's maybe someone turn the crap. Maybe, uh, yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, if you want to, especially some of these broadheads, like some of the like broadheads that are heavier, I mean, it's not, it's not uh, out of the question to spend a hundred dollars on three of them. So you hate to buy something like that and not end up liking them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be worth spending. Well, I don't know what the cost would be to rent a broadhead for a week, but I wouldn't imagine it's that expensive. Um, but yeah, like if I had told you, if I had recommended, uh, the Montec, the G5 Montec to you last year, that didn't shoot very good for you at all. So you'd have been like, oh, what the hell? It didn't, yeah. but for a lot of my friends, it's shooting awesome. Now, I don't know. It might shoot better now because I got a whole different bow setup. Yeah. But I've uh, killed, um, I mean, I've killed, I was shooting those. I can't remember what year I started shooting with a long time. I killed a lot of the deer behind me with that G5 Montec. I mean, I just. Strikers before, work really well for me. Yeah. A lot of people like those. Um, also, I've never, I've never shot them. I never really had a, I, you know, I never changed. Um, I mean, I shot some heavier stuff uh, a couple of years ago, but it wasn't, you know. You know, if uh, anybody on here has like a uh, pro shop, mm-hmm. or they do a shoot, I know uh, Nikki, uh, she might be on there. She, she works with uh, Ojibwa's, I think, bow shoots. Mm-hmm. That could be something they could do where they have like a shoot where you get to try all the different broadheads. Yeah. You, you know, um, that would go over huge. You know, if I was looking for a broadhead, I'd even go to something like that. You know, go and be able to try a bunch of different broadheads, go up to a booth and shoot them. Yep. That'd be cool. Or even if a guy went around and traveled to the deer shows and did that. Everybody's. Because you know, uh... the show we were just at had shoots. I mean, people were bringing their bows and shooting. If you added that to it, you know, people would really go for that because. Like you said, it's so hard to find broadheads to shoot. You keep you got to kind of guess and buy some, and yeah, you hope you pick right. Right. Um, everybody's uh comment now. It's called Broadhead Connection. Is what the that company that will let you try out broadheads. So mm. shout out to them. They already got the idea down and uh, are doing it. Nice. Yeah, it'd be that'd be useful for sure. Um. My wife sent me a bunch of questions here. She's on the ball today. Good job, yep. Maddie. Yeah, we thought about having her on and talking about uh, just like spouses and like how to get along. And uh, I don't know. I'd probably call the podcast something like how to let your wife hunt, uh, how to make your wife let you hunt more or something <laughs> like that. Uh, she was up for it. She was actually her idea. So. We could have uh, your wife on and my wife on, but we couldn't. Well, actually, we can't because my wife is locked in a room for, for two months because she said that she didn't know if I should hunt opening day. So two months she gets let out of the room. I just slide a little food under the door. So maybe we could hear from your wife. Yep. She's up for it. Mm-hmm. I hope we can maybe... Uh... I can say that because I'm here because uh, I'm out of reach of your wife from her strangling me. Maybe you could barter her. You're sleeping, so I get away with that. Maybe you can barter her, uh, barter your wife into, hey, you got, if you do this, I'll let you out early. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) 
<laughs> last last uh, year, I let her out early for dragging that buck out for me. Carol doesn't uh, listen to like any of your stuff, does she, or watch uh, your shows or anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You hear stuff, you know, but right <laughs> if it's on Facebook or online. I mean, when I was when I was a lot younger, I wrote an article that was meant to be humorous about, uh, and I mocked her as Satan and had her fly out of the house and land on the hood to try and stop me. And I talked about how I threw her off in the third turn and then went and shot my car. <laughs> and uh, that was printed in a local newspaper, and she was really oh, no. about that. I had to apologize. Well, I wonder why. It was just funny. Yeah. Anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jack. Good. Uh, oh, you're from Jackson County. Cool, man. Um, message me on Facebook. Maybe we can, I don't know, do something sometime. There's, um, there's Jackson County, Wisconsin. There's Jackson County in every state. Oh, yeah, that's true. There's Jackson County. That's where I'm sitting right here in my living room or my uh, office. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's get some questions, Dan. We've been on here for an hour now, so there's a bunch oh, of them. Great. I don't know if we'll get, yeah, 53 minutes. I don't know if we'll get through all of it, but um, okay. This is uh, this is from Bill S. Okay, Dan or Josh, do you have tips on getting to and from your stand on public land? How I'm going to kind of rephrase this question a little bit, Bill. Do you, Dan, how how um, important do you or, or how much do you think about how to get into your stand when you're you're going into a spot on public get into my standard how to get to my my position he says tips on getting to and from your stand on public okay. land all right so two is much more important to me than from yeah um i usually hunt a stand once so when i get done i just burn it my leave the only difference is if i know there's something around that i want to uh target then i gotta sneak out then it gets a little difficult but getting to my stand is very important. I'm thinking about uh, what that deer's monitoring, sight, sound, um, smell, and then uh, figuring out the best, cleanest route to get in there. I mean, there's times when I'm hunting next to the parking lot and I'm walking a freaking half mile in a huge loop and circle to get to hunt the buck. Um, there's a spot in, uh, in hill country where uh, in western Wisconsin, where there's a um, parking lot that's down between two giant hills on public land. And there's an axis that goes straight out from that parking lot. And the biggest buck on that property is always sitting right above that parking lot, watching that parking lot. There's just the perfect ridge there. It's right along the road. Number one, you'd have to climb a cliff from the road to get up there. Number two, it's right, the parking lot is right below this hill. Nobody's going to park in that parking lot and climb this hill right, right alongside the road up there so this buck never gets any uh, uh human interaction up there as a matter of fact the first time i went up there there's old sheds laying all over the place i don't think people went up there period but what i have to do is that buck is watching that parking lot monitoring people so he knows when there's somebody hunting there it's a small parking spot so not a lot of people park there i mean maybe on weekends and, and during rut you see a little more activity or gun season so when i park there i just got to make believe i'm one of those people take that trail all the way out then curve around up to that ridge and come back. And I got to go like a half mile to hunt a deer that's right next to the parking lot. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And every situation is different. Sometimes you luck out and it's a really simple, easy walk straight to the tree kind of thing. 
And sometimes you got to be a little more careful. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and like the, the, uh, worst case for me around here is hill country. Like, man, there's sometimes I walk a long ways out of the way because, you know, ridges are pretty long here. We have real long ridges and sometimes you can't be on site advantage too. Yeah. I was getting ready to say that. And, and they can just see forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may have you to walk. You have two different wind directions. You have uh, downwind and you have thermal wind. Yeah. So you don't you don't ever worry about exit then, really. I mean, I you, do, but not not too often. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, usually, I just get down quietly and leave. But uh, I don't I don't really concern myself. I figure once those deer come in during the night, they're going to know where I was. Yeah. Right. I I'll um think about it a lot like if i'm hunting my my private you know my few private farms i have especially because they're small and then like i have other people hunting them there so i don't like i don't want to mess it up totally for my dad or whoever else is going to be hunting there um one in particular you know there's that you can really easily walk out of there um you have to walk through the crop fields, you know, you walk, walk through the crop fields and you'd be right to your truck, but mm-hmm. it's like, that's where most of the deer are. Whenever you're leaving, you know, most of the deer have made their way out to those crop fields. And it's like, you know, you leave 30 minutes after day, uh, daylight's out, then you just walk through the middle of that crop field. It's like, man, you could be boogering up. And like, you know, people will say like, ah, I don't hurt anything. And it's like, ah, maybe not for most deer, but the deer you want to shoot, you know, a big buck. I don't think they care if they see you at day during the day or at night, they don't like it. You know, yeah, that's so, my opinion. So I do agree with you at the point. I mean, like uh, if you're on a property and you don't, you don't want to certain, certainly don't want to booger stuff that you're going to be hunting. Yeah. I'm just saying for the spot that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm already boogering that when I'm in there. Yeah. Like, like Dave's farm. Um, we would always, you know, walk the far edge of the, uh, of the property line where our scent would usually be blown across the line onto the neighbors where it's just open fields rather than walk right through the deer coming back. You know, um, it's just good practice. It's, it's, you know, rather than kick the deer out of there every time you're in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Jordan, man, uh, Jordan's from Jackson County, I think. Um, he says, uh, you, Josh, you see the lack of rubs as I do. Yes. In hill country, I tell people all the time, and a lot of times you just got to trust the, trust the terrain, trust what you're, you're seeing because it's not, you know, there's not as much edge and places like that where deer like to just make a whole bunch of rubs and bunch, lay a bunch of sign down. But, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Dan? Do you see less? I think, I assume Jordan's maybe talking about hill country. Another thing in down here, Jordan, is we don't have as many bucks. We have a lot of good bucks, but there's not there's not forty deer, forty bucks running around on a trail camera like Dan does. So there's not quite as much competition. Therefore, around here they don't lay as much sign down. Um, but uh, I saw know. a ton of sign when I was down there. But then again, I was hunting like Peak Road. Yeah, right. Were you even in the hills? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. specifically rubs. Uh, yeah, scrapes. Not, not as many rubs. There seems to be more yeah. scraping, but yeah. yeah, yeah. He's talking about rubs. I don't see a lot. I don't see a lot of rubs. I mean, not like you do. You know, yeah, you see more rubs here, but I think there's more deer. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's going to sound stupid, but it's really not. 
the more the bucks, the more the rubbing. And I, and it might sound corny, but literally it's it's like twofolded because the bucks rub not just for does, but they rub because they're competing with bucks. Yeah. So they rub more when there's more bucks around. So if you have like one big buck, he's not going to hardly rub at all. If you got two, they'll where they come cross lines, they'll compete and rub. So they rub mm -hmm. more than you know than just two bucks would normally rub. And every time yeah. you add deer, they're rubbing more than they'd usually rub, in my yeah. opinion. Like uh, at, at uh, Dave's farm, when we first started hunting there, there were more big bucks than there are now. And then they, when CWD came in and they started giving people tags like crazy, and people just started wiping out the population. They were killing tons and tons of deer, and they knocked the population way down. Well, when the population was higher with big bucks, the main bedding areas had rub lines going into them like you wouldn't believe. Huge rubs and stuff. And now there's still big bucks there. And when you see a big buck, it still comes out of the same big buck bedding areas. But there certainly ain't the rubs like there used to be because it's usually one big buck bedding in there and he's got no competition. Yeah, that was kind of my point. I wasn't talking about, you know, he was asking about rubs specifically around here. Man, I don't. I mean, you'll find, you'll find them for sure, but not like a, it is whenever, like when I went scouting in Iowa, I mean, is every freaking tree had a rub on it. It seemed like, you know, it's unbelievable, but it's cause uh, to your point, it's cause there's a, there's a, you know, probably a few mature deer per mile or if not more, you know, mm -hmm. per section. Um, yeah, matter uh, of fact, out by me, I mean, I'll see the really rubbed up bedding areas are usually two year olds. The mature bucks usually stand alone and you know if they hang in an area quite a bit there won't be a lot of rubs yeah the biggest buck i ever shot there wasn't a rub within 100 yards of his uh bed or a scrape mm -hmm. and, uh uh that buck bedded there a lot i even picked up his sheds in that bed the year before before i shot him yeah someone asked if you ever got dave's buck aged dan that, that deer yeah, shot uh, it was seven mm, nice um do you guys have any tips on how to tactful tactfully ask for hunting permission on private land through mailed letters through a mailed letter um it's hard to intimidate somebody through a mailed letter it's easier to do it at gunpoint <laughs> yeah i don't know i i've tried that and it's not easy um no Usually they just ignore it. See, the, the thing is with uh, um, people giving permission is because nobody really wants to give permission. It's not like I'm sitting right. here hoping somebody sends me a letter asking me if they can hunt in my backyard or that they can. I'm hoping maybe they want to cross my yard with an ATV or a snowmobile trail or something. Yeah. But say the snowmobile trail wants to go right through my yard. They send me a letter. I'm going to be like, geez, I'm going to throw it in the trash. Yeah. But they come to my door and they're like, hey, come on, man. I really want to cross your land. You know, everybody in town wants to use this trail. It's hard to say no to your face. Yeah. I really think that you're way better off talking to a guy face to face. Um, but you can send out a lot of letters without having to go to doors. And nowadays going to doors is not like it used to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody comes to my door and I don't know who it is. I literally answer the door with a gun behind my back. Right. And I don't think I'm alone there. Yeah, there's the so days there's of line yeah, the days of it being normal for someone to come to your door to, you know, chat is over. You know, that's it's a weird thing to do now. 
I think uh, uh, one of the main things you can do if you want to get permission, I think, is to think about it from the landowner's perspective. And I think that most people are looking for permission on farms. And the best thing you can do on a farm is when you see a farmer out working. Yeah. Don't go knock on his door because that's intrusive. Um, they're going to think you're trying to rob him or something. But if you see him out working and you're not going to stop him, I mean, they don't want to have their tractor stop because you're walking up to him. But if you're just out doing something, you know, and you see him, stop and ask him if he needs a hand around the farm or something and say, is there any way I could trade you some work for hunting? Uh, tell him, you know, during the summer, I could come over here maybe uh, four or five hours a, a week, you know, one day, one evening after work each week and give you a day off so that you can go with your wife or something, do your chores for you. Um, that goes over huge. And that's a yeah, really yeah. good way to get in. But uh, it's a give and take. Nobody wants to just give you something for free. So yeah, you're taking yeah. something from that landowner. And a lot of them, you know, hunt or they got somebody in a relation that hunts. But that'll even bypass that. I mean, you know, I don't know a farmer that isn't overwhelmed with work. And wish yeah. he had a day off. I mean, I've had farmers tell me, the local ones that I know, like, man, I got to work every day. I, you know, I you know, got no time to do anything. I don't get to go out, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, or they got a certain period of time in the year where they have a little window they can go out, which is a shame for them, but it's an opportunity for you. And I think that's the best way you can get on property. But I don't think writing them a letter is going to do you much good. But if you are going to write a letter, put that in the letter that you're willing to work. Yeah. You go over and work a few hours a day. And if you're not willing to do that, good luck. Mark Kenyon has a whole podcast about getting permissions on that. He did it a long time ago, but uh, I don't know, probably a few years ago, I I sent out a bunch of letters to property owners um, and I ended up getting about maybe a hundred acres out of it. Mm, so it, it worked, it worked okay for me. I actually just lost one of the farms this year because the guy sold it. It wasn't nothing I did. It just, he sold it. So there's a new property owner and he's been let hunting other than himself in, but. You know, um, what but, I see around here is, is new farms. When a farm yeah. first was bought, yeah, people are a lot more. They're looking like they they want to make everybody in the neighborhood happy and stuff. They're trying to get along with everybody, and uh, they haven't been bombarded yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I know farmers that tell me that you know every week three four people come to their door and it just gets monotonous, and they're not yeah, going right. to us. You know, they're tired of it. Yeah, I uh, I've had everything. Those letters I got. I mean, the vast majority of them. I mean, I probably got you know, two per two or 3% of the people that were actually responded. Um, you know, a, 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 quite a, a, f a few guys or people met, just text me back. I told them it's okay to text me if you don't want to call. Um, a few people just text me and said, Hey, appreciate the letter, but I'm not letting by hunt. One lady, like for, she was from Kentucky. Not that I'm stereotyping people from Kentucky, but, uh, she called, she called me and left a message on my phone and was like, if I see you even on my road, I'm going to call the, uh, my, my, he's like, my, she's like, my, uh, my husband works for the sheriff department and he, we're going to have you arrested. And I'm like, Jesus lady. Like I, <laughs> I just asking if I could come, I'm not going to be driving down your lane. Um, and then I did have, uh, a lady, like uh, an older lady. She, I noticed she wasn't from the area. She owned some land around here. Uh, she was like from Maine or something. And I sent her a letter. She actually called me and we talked for like 20 minutes. And she's like, I just don't, I just don't want anybody hunting. I'm afraid you're going to get hurt out there and blah, blah, blah. She was such a sweet lady. And I thought at the end, I thought she was going to let me, but she's like, 
let me think about it right now. It's still going to be a no, but he's like, if anybody's going to get the hunt there, I'll be, it's going to be you. And I'm like, all right, just let me know, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's probably, it's, it's the vast majority of letters are a waste of time, but, um, and I'm talking, I sent probably 40 out. Like I was real, I put a lot of time and effort into it. Did you offer uh, anything? Yeah. Oh yeah. I put in there. I, I, you know, I was talking about mowing yards for them, uh, you know, helping them if they had any chores they needed done, or I'm kind of handy with woodworking stuff about doing that. I got on, uh, another thing, like everybody, most people work somewhere, you know? So like a lot of times, like my old company I used to work for, we had plants all over the country. And so I'd make friends with people. And that's how I got on these farms in Iowa. I had, I'd made friends with people at a different plant uh and the the one guy happened to be a farmer his family was farmers and they had land and i you know i i didn't make friends with him because of this it just happened he just happened to have some land in his family and so i contacted him when i was going to draw iowa or i thought i was going to draw iowa and he's like yeah you can come and hunt but i took my drone while i was there and i flew it over their farms and i took some nice video and uh snapped some cool pictures of their farm like aerial photos of their farms and then i I made a frame out of a piece of barden wood for him and I mailed it to him for a gift for letting me do that. And like a lot of times, like if we're being honest, like most farmers, they don't, you know, a thousand dollars probably isn't going to sway them or $500 where throwing them a bunch of money. A lot of times they don't want the hassle with someone being there. You know, it's not, the money isn't the issue and, but doing something like, like that, a gift for them. Um, and I'm not talking, you know, I, a gift card or anything like that. But like, if you could do something special to where it's like uniquely for them, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not everybody has a drone. They can fly over a farm and take a picture, but yeah. One thing, get- one thing with me is uh, I found that a lot of local farmers here approach me asking me if I can make them a part for the tractor that they can't get in the market. They got a 1940 tractor. Yeah. Or if I can weld something for them or have it repaired because of yeah. my background in machining and R and D. So, uh, not that I've ever used that to get hunting permission, but you could. Yeah. Most most farmers are constantly repairing equipment, especially the old style farmers that got uh, older equipment. They're yeah. constantly fixing stuff. And uh, it's hard to get parts for some of those older tractors and stuff. Yeah. Something else you can do is like try to keep tabs on uh, like who hunts where around your area. Like if you know where people hunt. Cause like, for example, I got, I gained about 70 acres last year. I had a, a guy I knew was hunting a certain farm. Well, he moved to Montana for his work and I, I texted him. I didn't want to step on his toes. I'm like, Hey man, are you, are you ever going to hunt here again? He goes, no, I won't. If I come home, I'm not going to come home for hunting. I'm like, okay, well, I drove by that farmer's house, uh, the next couple of days and he was outside working. Like you were just talking about, he was just outside in his, in his shop working. And I saw him walking outside and I just pulled in um, and he knew my family. He didn't specifically know who I was, but he knew, he knew of my, my last name essentially. And, uh, I just went and talked to him. I was like, Hey, I know, uh, so-and-so moved away. And he's like, ah, yeah, he did. And, and uh, he's like, I'm like, you care if I hunted there? Um, I, I already talked to him, you know, and he said, he's not going to hunt there anymore. He goes, Oh, he goes, I, I need a deer hunter in there to watch the place. You know, you go ahead. You can just have the whole place. I'm like, all right. So that's just stuff like that. And I probably should specify like that doesn't work everywhere. You know, like some places are uh, people are more friendly about deer hunting, but like, you know, if you go to Illinois or Iowa, you're probably not going to be able to just, you know, it's probably all leased up or where there's actually real money for people to be made on deer leases. Um, But anyway, 
we can quit talking about private land. We're going to get a bunch of people mad at us. Right. But you know what the thing is about, <laughs> about private land is that it's always got some attachment. But oh, yeah. when you said that about uh, it don't work with everybody. Well, every time I've gotten access to, to, to private, there's always like something like uh, uh, so-and-so hunts over there. This yeah. you can't come in the mornings because you shine your light on my house or something. And there's, you know, don't come on the holidays. Don't come when my kids are here. Or, you know, it yeah. just... It's pain. I don't know. You always feel like you're intruding. Yep. You know. Yeah. Um, that's what's nice about public. It's just free. That's right. And we'll run feral. Something else I find on public is like you get less frustrated with things. Like, you know, something's supposed to go wrong usually. You know, whereas if you're you got it in your head when you're going to this private farm, like, um, you know, I have this place to myself, and then in reality. Uh, I was, I was making a video for hunting beast today. I was talking about, uh, getting stuff stolen. I think I've had more stuff stolen on private land around here than public. Um, just because yeah, I hunted over by your place once it was like grand central station. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people messing around. Setting uh, up trip wires with grenades. And then the, the bad part about people messing around on private is they do see a camera or something. They're liable to take it if, mm-hmm. um, just because. They don't want to be caught or I don't know people's justifications, but right. I don't uh, know if you read the messages underneath my um, video about the car- cards getting stolen, but yeah, a lot of people were like, uh, I get a lot more stuff stolen on private than I do public. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people that they're already trespassing. And so they're kind of that type of people that they may be more, um, more apt to do something like that anyway. Uh, anyway, Someone asked, are we coming? If, if I'm coming to Nebraska, I'm assuming you're talking about me uh, for opener. Yep. Leaving next week, I guess. End of next week, whenever it is. I don't know. And the only thing that would stop no. me from being right beside you is a bear tag. Yep. Maybe me and Dan will come there together next year. Unless I'm uh, I got a lot yeah, of tags going up. I got Michigan coming up. Mm-hmm. Maine. I might go to Maine on a bear hunt. Yeah. Screwing yeah. up my early season deer hunting. Yeah, but. That's fun too. I don't know. I love bear hunting. Yeah. Uh, looking for their questions here. Do we uh, do we have a spare Buckslayer asked? Do we have a spare bow we take uh, out of state? See, I want to sell mine and use the money for a, a new one, but I think I would. It'd be smart to just to keep one. No, I, I never shoot two bows the same, and I'm, I get used to one bow. I just uh, I take one. Yeah, I'm the same, same, same thing. I've always, always had you to sell might, one. You to, take a recurve in a, in a compound, right? Yeah, I could. I I could. I just never. I never do. I. It's not always good to leave them in a vehicle, like especially recurves. It's not real good for them if they're in the heat and stuff, um, or whatever extreme temperatures. They can delaminate, and um, most of them won't anymore. All the stuff's pretty good. Um, so there's, it's usually not an, uh, issue, but, um, yeah, I never have, it's not, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to have a backup bow. My wife, uh, this has been a long time ago, but we were going on a hunt and she opened her bow case and her, somehow her string had got cut or exploded. And she was, you know, obviously you're not going to be bow hunting with a string that's broken and we have no idea how her string got cut, but, um, you know, I'd wish, I wish yeah. we had another bow then. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The problem is though, is like, 
if you if you're got a busted string or something, they don't always just have those sitting on the shelf to to redo them. You know. Yeah, I was um, I was hunting in Western Wisconsin and I uh, I uh, blew the uh, string and cable off my bowl and uh, yeah. I, uh, I looked around the cabin I was staying at and uh, found that the bunk bed uh, uh, beams yeah. had about the right spread, and I got the bow between that. And with all my might, I put my legs against the bed and pulled with the, my arms and had my kids string it while I, uh, while I pulled on it. And I, I, I strung one in the swamp one time, too, using two trees when I blew the strings off of it um, by getting limbs between the, the cables, which... Uh, I've never had to have a spare bow in all these years. So I think that might be just a little paranoid. I mean, I, crap uh, happens. You could have something happen, but all these years, I, I've never had it where it's cost me a hunt. You could dry fire your bow and uh, lose a kisser button. Yeah, I've had that happen. I know you have. <laughs> you care if I tell that story on here? Go ahead. All right. So my very first ever hunt with Dan Infault. I was, uh, we were in the parking lot on public land and, uh, he pulls his bow out of the truck and I'm like, Oh, is that that forge bow you shoot? And he's like, yeah. And he, he pulls it back. Uh, and I don't know what you did, but it, like, it slipped out of your hand and you dry fired the bow. <laughs> so uh, here I was thinking like, I'm hunting with this like professional deer hunter, you know, that's going to have all of his stuff together. <laughs> and the first thing he does was dry fire the bow. I'm a horrible human. I just know deer. <laughs> oh we had to we ended up leaving because your all your crap fell off the boat like it you know it shot the kisser button off and uh, i think that may have been all it came off of it yeah it came off like two bullets so who knows where it landed yeah we ended up going to uh, a buddy of mine chris cooper who's a professional archer and he fixed you back up but um anyways one thing i was going to comment on uh extra bows is i do have a uh portable bow press i keep in my um my my uh not my safe my bow case it's just a it's like a cable that pulls you can you can press your bow with it i know how to work on a bow enough to set one up and whatnot so i can i could fix something if i something goes wrong i just have it in the bottom of bow case so i've never been uh, good at working on bows and stuff i just don't have the patience for it yeah i i just uh had chris my buddy teach me, uh, pretty much teach me everything I know about it. So I, I know time, enough to where every time I got five know, minutes, I'm in a swamp somewhere. Yeah. I know enough to tie in a, you know, a peep site and anything that would go wrong outside of a, you know, exploding or a limb coming off, I could fix, but I've never had any, I mean, I've never had too much issue out of state. Um, okay. Another question here. When hunting swamps that surround lakes, do waterfowl hunters hunting on the lake in boats spook deer that may be bedding in a thick security cover not far away? Or do the bucks not care? They certainly move to bucks. So um, I, always, I always liked the period um, in areas that got pheasant hunting and duck hunting. When both seasons yeah. come on, it puts those deer kind of in the middle. It really limits the cover they can be in. You know, but here's the thing. I mean, um, if a place is insecure because of duck hunters and stuff, I mean, there might be some early season bedding there, but there's probably not primary bedding where they bed all the time because those duck hunters, um, older bucks will be used to that. So they'll have different areas. You know, there's certain spots where 
where they're really remote and stuff and they're not where duck hunters go and they're not where pheasant hunters go and they're not where squirrel mm-hmm. hunters go. And you'll have big bucks that bed there all year, but what you'll see is a lot of deer there, including a few extra big bucks when the pressure comes on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. We don't have yeah. a, I mean, I hunt hill country a lot, so we don't have a lot of, I don't have to worry about uh, duck hunters typically. One thing I noticed around you, though, that I don't have, we don't have nearly as many around here is squirrel hunters. Mm. You guys have a lot of people that squirrel hunt around you. Yeah. It's gone down a little bit. It used to be even more. Um, yeah, really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever ran into a squirrel hunter in Indiana. I was, uh, season. I was hunting an island uh, out in the marsh um, in gun season, and I watched two guys zigzagging through the marsh. Uh, trying to kick up deer and they kicked up this pretty big eight pointer um it was a nice buck and uh they started shooting at it and uh ended up getting it and there was a whole bunch of yelling and stuff going on and i was like what the hell is going on well there was they were going along the waterway in cattails that were like you know spotty eight feet high and then there'd be an open area and they got the buck in that uh, area where the cattails were low enough to see it and they they gunned it down, and it turned out there's two duck hunters in a in a boat in camouflage. They don't have to wear orange during gun season. They were in line with this buck, and the bullets were going past the duck hunters, so they're all yelling at each other. And mm-hmm. uh, it ended up, you know, I got the, a, a showing of this from the tree. I watched the whole thing unfold, and they ended up, uh, you know, apologizing for not knowing that they were there. But I mean, they're a mile and a half back into the swamp. You wouldn't think there'd be a duck hunter in the cattails which is kind of why you got to know your target and beyond but uh the duck hunters ended up they loaded the buck into the duck boat it was laying a few feet from it and uh boated it out for them where those guys would have had a mile and a half drag yeah that wasn't that wasn't a video right no there was a video where duck hunters uh pulled one of my bucks out that was way okay that's what yeah. You're, uh, yeah, I think it is. Little one on accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I uh, I knew there was something with it evolving a duck hunter on the channel. Um, now in Nebraska, where I go, pheasant hunters that uh, that pheasant season opens same time. I think it's pheasants. Um, and those um, there's a bunch of those guys walking around. Um, but for years we used to try and uh capitalize on pheasant hunters pheasant opening they'd open pheasant here at noon and we try to get in the woods before the pheasant hunters would open and get in funnels yeah what funnels and have them push the deer passes and i never see, you know i seen little deer i never yeah. in all those years ever had them chase a big buck past me those big bucks know that routine my but, dad yeah for sure. I think yeah, they, deer, they, they jump deer, they jump big bucks and stuff, but those big bucks know the routine. They know how to get out yeah. of there. They have an escape route planned. And it's just not where you're at, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of deer, I think, and I could be wrong. I don't know why. I'm, I mean, I don't really have any scientific reason for this, but like, I think a lot of deer, big deer are good at just keeping still. Like don't, they just, they don't move, you know? Right. They might move the next day during the night or something. They move. Yep. They just hunker down and wait for you whatever's bothering them to be gone, you know, instead of making themselves 
No, I my dad. Lots of pheasant hunters tell me they jump big bucks. I just think when they do jump them, they don't go very far. Yeah, right. My dad killed a giant. It was like a 167 inch deer on a deer drive. Uh, probably back in 2011, I think it was. And uh, the only, I think the only reason he killed it was he was a the dog or the walker. And I don't, he said for some reason he decided to like he was walking through the woods and he just decided to stop. And he just took a break and he like turned around and he was like, I don't know, not very far. I'm, I'll probably quote it wrong, but like 15 yards, that buck was laying there, like trying to let him go past. And it, he stopped long enough for that buck to get nervous enough to jump up. And then he ended up shooting it and killing it. Um, a lot of times just... drives, that's how we kill them is that uh, when, when we're walking, yep. we stop abruptly and they either uh, get nervous and jump or they jump that first time you take the next step. Yeah. They, uh, yep. they think you, I think in their minds, they think you're staring at them, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think he's, he was pretty convinced if they, if they just kept walking, it probably never would have, you know, never probably would have even got, got up. Um, how long we've been on here now? Hundred, hundred twenty-five. Let's see here. You guys want to do the giveaway? I have the name right here, so we can do the giveaway. Ready? Dan Info. Oh, geez. Uh, Feral M. Feral? The guy in my style. Feral, yeah. Yeah. That's how they spell it. So if, if you're on here or if you see this later, make sure you try to get a hold of me on Facebook. I'll get on your I'll get on your page here in a little bit and message you. And we'll get you some sticks. And if he doesn't uh, mention anything between now and next week, we'll try her again. Uh, surely someone will get a hold of me. Um, oh, right there. I think that's him. Farrah Brava. Yeah, man. If you, uh, if you have me on Facebook, message me your, uh, address and I'll get it over to Mario and he'll send you the sticks. So congratulations. Um, He's commenting a lot now. Yeah, he's on. Yeah, Feral, or is he? uh, Is that his actual name? Hmm. Maybe his name is Farah Brava. I don't know. Hmm. I'm not sure. Um, Cool man. Hope you. Do you have? uh, I maybe we may be pronouncing your name wrong. Fair. Yeah. Do you? uh, You already have a set, Farah, or is this your, your your first one? Let us know in the comments. You already have a set. I always wonder about that. Like this guy probably has two sets and a and a couple stands or something crazy. But you're gonna get attacked uh, by everybody if you say you have a set. So you better just say no, no. I always wanted. No, a no, set. no, 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 no. <laughs> I still I still use a big game climbing sticks that are forty seven pounds. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's the case. Yeah, you gave a. I remember on the workshops. Last year, a year before, you gave away a set, uh, tree stand and sticks, and it was a uh, real cool because the guy he was like you know struggling with money and just got divorced and had three or four kids that he had custody of, and mm-hmm. it was real cool. Like he couldn't have, uh, could have been a couldn't have been a more perfect person to win them. Um, I always I wish you could just uh, get all the benefits of giving something away and still have the just give it to the ex- absolute perfect person that needs it, you know. Um, good deal. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad Farrell 
is on here so I can make sure that someone actually gets them in this, this week. Um, cool. Now I'll have to figure something else out to, to give away. Make sure you guys like and subscribe because your next, the next giveaway, you'll, you'll have to be subscribed anyway. So you might as well give a, get a head start on it. Um, I thought about making a, uh, I'll just see what everybody thinks. I thought about making a self bow. I've made a, quite a few of these and giving one away, but this is a lot of work. This, this, uh, my time and whatnot is, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty big investment into something like that. But I thought about doing that, but I don't know if people are into that. You know, I'm kind of a weirdo, but anyway, that's something I'm thinking about doing for a giveaway. Uh, here we go. Do you prefer to sit or stand more in trees? How about you, Josh? Uh, honestly, I probably sit most of the time. I, if I was being honest, I don't stand. I mean, I'll, I'll stand if necessary. If I feel like I'm going to have something come in from behind me or something like that, I'll stand. But sitting, I usually sit. I fidget too much if I stand. Yeah. I want to be perfectly still. So I mm -hmm. sit almost uh, all the time, but I'm always listening, watching, and paying attention. I'm not sitting on a freaking phone, which I think is a problem nowadays with people. So I'm mm -hmm. observing. I'm out there to enjoy nature. That's what I'm there for. That's what I do. I, I don't sit on a phone. So I'm mm -hmm. watching. I'm paying attention. So then when I do see something or hear something, I'm ready. And then I slide to my feet real slow. And I put my back up against the tree and get my bow in front of me and try to be part of the tree. Because I think from a sitting position, those deer spot you really easily in most trees. Every now and then you get a setup where it's really good, where you can get away with sitting. Um, but I, I actually shoot better standing too. And if something happens, like the deer suddenly turns and gets behind you or something, it's easier to just turn and shoot when standing. So as soon... Or like say you you know you stay seated when a doe comes in, and then all of a sudden you look and there's a buck coming in from a different angle and you can't shoot that way seated. So I always stand up when when the opportunity's coming. I shouldn't yeah. say always. There's been once or twice where I've been caught sitting where I can't get up. Not necessarily caught, but where the deer gets to a position without me knowing it, where it would be dangerous to sit up or stand up without getting busted. Um, but I prefer standing and uh, getting my back right up against the tree, blending with the tree, turning my body and contorting it so I become the tree. Because generally I'm hunting out of pretty small trees and a deer will spot that big body sticking out from it. If you're sticking out at all from that tree. Mm -hmm. So I try to just glue my back, my neck, everything up against that tree. And I put the bowl limb right in front of my face and block that face image so that they're not seeing the face. So I got the limb right in front of it. And then the very first shot I have, I'm always facing that deer with the bow in my hand. First shot, drawing back and shooting. First good shot. I'm not waiting for a perfect shot. First good ethical shot that I'm I'm fairly certain I can make, I take. Because if you let that deer hang around too long, especially a mature buck, eventually they're going to sense you. They're going to get a little swirl. They're going to see something. They're going to hear something. Them things are so adapt, especially on public pressured land, to knowing when something's wrong. Yeah. But you don't want them to hang around too long. You get an arrow on them as fast as you can. Yeah. Something else I started doing is I, I wear a watch when I'm deer hunting. 
just so I, if I need to look at time or I feel like I need to look at time, I can look down and see what time it is and not get on your phone and say, Oh, look, a Facebook notification. And then you end up looking at your phone for 10 minutes instead of, so I just, I always just wear a cheapo watch and I just, okay, it's, you know, I got 30 more minutes of daylight. Uh, so if you guys have problems with being on your phone, I mean, we're all freaking addicted, addicted to maybe, it. Uh, you know, we should start a group text thing. You know, we get me, you, you know, Rick and Tim and Mario and everybody get a group text. And every time you see a squirrel or a deer or something happens funny or you think of a joke, we can just group text constantly until deer shows up, right? Yeah. I got a group of buddies. We all uh, take some people off because that's probably mocking everybody that's listening right now. Because No, I mean, it, it's a. Uh, <laughs> no, we're all. I mean, everybody's addicted addicted to their phone. I mean, it's not a. It's pretty well universal anymore. I don't I'm know. Sure there's some... We are. I mean, I've even been caught on a phone because I, I'm trying to get out there and I still got business to do or something. Yeah. Right, doing. Oh my, yeah. You know, I've been busted on the phone. I hate having mm-hmm. a phone hunting. I would much rather just leave it in the truck. Yep. Yep. That's what I. I started just wearing a watch because it'd be just one less thing I got to look at my phone for. You know, if unless you have to do something like you said, if you're going through emails or whatever. Um, one second guys, we got a spammer in the shoot. Okay. Got them off there. Um, also with the notifications, um, on these giveaways, if you, if you don't hear directly from me or Dan, don't, uh, don't look at them. I got a few people messaging me about, Hey, I got this comment. Is this really true? And no, it's usually not. You'll know if you won because it'll be actually us and we aren't going to charge anything to yeah. win anything and all that. Um, anyway, let's see here. Oh, I was going to say also, I, I, uh, I think I've killed about every buck standing up that I've killed. I always end up standing up for some reason. I was sitting there thinking about what you were talking. Mm-hmm. Both deer I killed last year, I stood up. And I usually, um, you know, I mean, sure, there's going to, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but if you can get up and I think you're better off because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, deer could be on this side of you for one second and then something happens and he's over here. And if you're standing, you know, you're sitting down, it's, it can be a challenge to get moved around or whatever, but. I always try to slide, slide up. And I always, I always like back myself up against the tree and kind of slowly make my way up and flip. I always flip my seat up too, yep. uh, up against the tree to, and then kind of lean on that. So I'm not rubbing. Well, sometimes the I get my seat like half up. Yeah. Kind of lean into it. Cause yep. I like having something behind me kind of, you know? Yep. Yeah. I can push That's what seat. I do. I can push my back off of the tree when I draw, if I have yep. a seat, like, you know what I mean? It's not completely up, but yeah, all the little bits so that the the top of it is just hitting my butt a little bit, where I can, yep. you know, use it for support. Fun fact for everybody: um, Stealth Strip started because uh, of that problem. I think Lou's first product was like a what do you call it? Bark silencer or something? Mm-hmm. It was for leaning up against a tree or whatever, so you're you wouldn't make noise on the bark. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I think that's what his first. Uh, very first product was i had a bark sensor way before he came out with that yeah when the dog was bad you shot it with a 12 gauge so the 12 gauge was a bark silencer <laughs> that dog barked it up and shot it yeah you sound like my grandpa oh geez 
Um, so I'm real quick, Dan. <laughs> you don't have any dogs. You got every other animal but a dog, don't you? Yeah, Carol don't like dogs. Oh, I love dogs. Yeah, me too. Um, any other size B stands coming, Dan? Yeah, just be patient. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, someone said they received spam from the hunting public saying they won something. Yeah. There's a lot of this going on right now. A lot of it. That and all these like weird comments on Facebook, on, on YouTube and stuff. I, I constantly are deleting just weird yeah. stupid stuff. No, just think uh, of something. I mean, there's no way anybody who's got a legitimate business is going to charge you to receive a gift. Yeah. And I'm not going to contact you with a number or a uh, text this number or something. And I'm not going to ask you personal information. If I gave you something, I'd give it to you personally, or Josh would give it to you personally. Yeah. Um, and we would message you and it'd be us and we'd contact you. Anytime you do see something, if you really, if you think there's any doubt, because there, I can understand there being doubt because some of these guys use my name. They'll use the beast symbol and uh, yeah. they'll really try to trick you. And they'll tell you that there's like a, um, there's a uh, shipping fee that they're going to give you a free bowl, but it's a, you know, $120 to ship it to you. And uh, there's actually been some people that have been ripped off. They've told me that. That's why when, when I did the bowl giveaway, I ended up giving it away a lot faster than I wanted to. Because I, you know, I wanted to use it to promote the beast or whatever, but not at the cost of my my followers and my the people that watch the videos. And yeah, I had right. people contact me and say they fell for it. Mm. And, uh, I felt bad about that, you know. So I just said, well, we'll give away the video, the bow, and then we'll announce that we gave it away so people don't fall for it anymore. But yeah, it's a shame. That's I don't know. You want to do something cool for everybody, and everybody ruins it. But. Somebody's got to find some way to rip people off out of it. Yep. This guy, uh, Mike Lee, was asking this kind of as a joke, I think. But do you ever you wear a face mask, Dan? Do I wear? Do I use face paint or wear? Well, face? I, I'm modifying the question. Do you you wear a face mask? Uh, no. I do when I'm turkey hunting, not deer hunting. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I do like to block my face up, though. I don't think a face mask is a bad idea because I think deer um, pick up on faces a lot, especially eyes. Um, but uh, breaking up your face somehow, like I used the limb of my bowl, ain't a bad idea. Yeah, um, yeah. I hate face, face makeup crap. Um, yeah. I've never really had a problem with it. I just used the limb of my bowl to block it. And, I mean, I've been busted by deer seeing me in trees, but it's usually because I'm in little tiny skinny trees and I'm a huge blob up there, you know, out in an open area because uh, most big bucks that uh, I shoot are on edge and edge don't have very good trees or I'm in open areas that are just brushy, thick cutovers and you're in the only tree in there. There's a reason there's big bucks are in spots like that. This part of that one-time sit, too, is they're a lot less likely to notice you in a tree if they've never smelled anybody around it. Then they come back right. when they're, you know, like their normal crap. Or if, if it's a tree that commonly gets hunted, they'll slip in there and look at the tree, you know? Yeah. I wear a, uh, I wear a face mask that actually Barry Wenzel uh, recommended to me. It's called a, uh, it's called Spandiflage. I think it's what it's called. And it's like a, uh, I don't know what it's made of. It's like a mesh, but it's real tight to your face, but it's not heavy. 
people have seen me wear it. They make fun of it on the hunting beast, but I, I love that thing. Um, but look at you. You got a bright white face. Yeah. Look at me. Right. I got an old dented up, wrinkled up, scarred yeah. up face. I got lots of shadows. So I blend nice right in. I'm nice and shiny. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep growing this beard out. Maybe I can like flip it up over my nose and like do something like that. Real cool looking. Start a new trend. The beard. Hey, the white beard's going to start scaring them pretty soon. Well, I know, right? I don't have the white problem quite yet. I got some small little patches, but nothing like. I could shave it to the circle around my lips like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. Girl, love that. But, the people people make fun of that face mask, but it's actually like a when you buy it, it's just a head. Like it it goes over your whole head, and like the the marketing thing on it was where you can wear it and see through it. Well, that's not really didn't really how it works. So I actually end up cutting a you know I cut a hole in it. That's why it looks so raggedy because it's I've taken scissors and cut it a hole cut a hole in it. But um, I actually need to get a new one. Uh, yeah, someone says yes to Spandiflaw. Has been using them for years. Me too, man. I use a turkey hunting too. I've 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 kind of misplaced it. I gotta I gotta do some digging because things are getting close here. Um, it actually keeps you. It's weird. I don't know what material it is, but it's like not hot, but it also keeps you warm in the winter time. Like I can wear it in the winter, and it has a little bit of an insulation factor. Um, but anyway, one thing it doesn't hide is your eyes. Sure. Right. Um. Yep. Yep, cut holes for the eyes. Yep, it's a it's a full deal whenever you buy it. All right, we've been on here for a long time. I'm looking to make sure there's no good questions. Here, here is actually a good question. When uh, when you're in those skinny trees, how do you deal with the wiggle factor? That's actually a, it is can be an, it can be an issue. Yeah, it, it has been an issue. Um, I try to make sure I can just stand still. I got to stand up as early as possible settle down and be real careful about drawing the bow and stuff. It, it, it is an issue. It takes practice. Yeah. Yeah. There's not anything you can do about it other than just try to be still. And if you're the kind of guy that has a lot of adrenaline and starts shaking, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be kind of cold, yeah. stone cold to, to do that. Just, uh, yeah. Um, not much you can do about it. Be real, get real skinny. Mm -hmm. Don't weigh much. Here's a good question. What if what if we get notification that you're going live during last light of my hunt? He's talking about getting on. We were, he, he let this one over. You're talking about getting on our phones. You can get on your phone for that. Well, if it's hunting season, I don't think you're going to see us live on last light. No, no. Well, maybe, me and, maybe we're tagged out in that hole. I just say, me and Dan will tag out and just like get on here at like, I don't know, 30 minutes before legal every night. Let's Everybody get one yet? <laughs> You guys can go live with us and you can, we can film our hunt and we can watch it with you. That'd yeah. I think cool. times and days might vary a little more um, during hunting season because of uh, our hunting. Yeah. Stuff. We uh, will probably, I could see us getting on a little later sometimes um, as long as it's nothing crazy or weekends doing it during the week weekend, maybe during the day or something. Um, but I think we're me and Dan both are going to try to do it at least once a week still. Um, but yeah, tonight was a good night. We had almost 300 people on for most of the night. So not quite that many, but close. So anyway, everybody, thanks for getting on. Make sure you subscribe. We'll, uh, you gotta be, you'll have to be subscribed every time I give something away. So, uh, go ahead you and get her done. And, now, what are you going to give a lollipop? Yeah. I don't know. People, a few people like the idea of a self bow. 
this one uh it probably won't be as nice as this one to be honest with you i took my t this one has rattles rattlesnake skin on it from texas um and then i ended up uh making it a recurve i heated the limbs up and bent them into a recurve if uh, i got you you skin from a critter that uh, i killed could you make one with that i have some um camera card thief skin oh wait i wasn't supposed to say that live oh uh, yeah that'd be pretty savage <laughs> using, using someone you killed <laughs> as a bow backing i have a it's not in here i, I have a i uh, hope he's raw, raw. <laughs> I, yeah he's probably you probably got him shaking again i have a uh, rawhide backed one that i made a couple years ago that's pretty mm -hmm. cool it's um it's deer backed but uh yeah that stuff uh that that's whenever things start to get a little more expensive when you got to buy unless you go out and you know catch yourself some rattlesnakes and skin them and dry them and all that but i didn't do that i bought it off a guy and you better not get famous you'd be wearing like one of these uh rattlesnake belts with a giant buckle and cowboy hat and yeah that fancy yeah. bow there jeez yeah, it's pretty, yeah, pretty cool. Cut a notch in it every time you kill a deer. That's a bull. I don't have any deer with this one yet. I missed a turkey with it two years ago. Or no, that, that rawhide back when I, I missed a deer with it. I've killed a whole bunch of deer with a, with a longbow, uh, probably a dozen or more, and a couple tur a, a turkey and a, and a hog. But uh, nothing nothing with my self bow yet. I need to actually just hunt with it a little bit more, and I'll kill something with it. But um, anyway. All right, everybody. Thanks for getting on tonight. We will talk to you guys uh, next week, probably uh, probably Thursday again. <laughs> See you guys. See you, everybody.